<laughs> All right. Sure. Oh, thanks. I have some questions somewhere else. It's <laughs> a little big even for me. Do you have a stool or anything? Oh, cool. Let me just say one more thing, because I'll forget to say this later, and that is that um, Graham has also already graciously allowed us to be able to um, post what he speaks today and tonight at Blazing <coughs> Fire on our website on a podcast for free. So um, later on, if you want to hear this again, probably usually takes about half a week to a week to get it on our website. Our website is is uh, blazingfire.org, O-R-G, and uh, you just go on the podcast and you'll be able to listen to this later. So thank you. Cool. Okay. Hello, everyone. Hi. <laughs> It's nice to be back. It's nice to actually do a meeting where you, it's 45 minutes from home. I feel like I'm with my neighbors. <laughs> so uh, we're doing a, a Q&A session this afternoon. Um, so if any questions uh, occur to you, uh, uh, if you want to write them down, um, if you have the kind of handwriting that looks as though a fly is dropped in the inkwell and crawled all over the page. <laughs> you might want to just like block print it. That would be really helpful to this English boy. Because you might not like the interpretation I put on your handwriting. <laughs> but also, if, if anything I'm saying raises a question in you, you know, please, you know, if you're bold enough, just stick your hand in the air and uh, that would be great. Um, so let's pray. Father, thank you. What a day we're in. What a God we serve. I want to thank you that these are just times of limitless possibilities right now. We're really feeling that um, earth is being stretched by heaven right now. And the church is being stretched by the kingdom like never before. And so we've all got stretch marks. <laughs> so thanks for that. Appreciate that. <laughs> and we just want to say to you, Lord, we are just amazed at the day we're in. Everything that's happening, good, bad, and ugly. Um, we are living with a greater sense of purpose now than ever before. And a greater sense of imminence in the spirit. Um, we know that you're doing far more behind our back than you are in front of our face. <laughs> and, and we rejoice in that, that you are busy in areas where we are not yet working. And we appreciate that. And, and Lord, we just want to be on the same page as you. Uh, we want to be in alignment with you um, because it's the only place to be. And so, Holy Spirit, <laughs> you're a genius at yeah. times like this. Yeah. And so, would you come and just do what you do best and touch our hearts, inspire us, motivate us, move us, and um, pour out your blessing and your favor upon each one as we uh, just dialogue together about the things of the kingdom. For Jesus' sake. Amen. So, first question...
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I heard you say in a message you gave once that you help people gain employment through subsidizing costs of their wages. I direct the, I think it's the WIA, Workforce Investment Program, in Mendocino County. Do you have any insight, advice for me during this current economy and political climate? Um, <laughs> I actually didn't subsidize people's wages. I got other people to do that. <laughs> I, I, um, <clears throat> for me, that whole thing started because I think, you know, we're, we live on a battlefield. You know, we, we live on, on the battlefield between uh, two kingdoms, kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. And um, so there's a call to fight upon every one of us. So at some point, though, your warfare has to be earthed. You know, so there's no point taking authority over something unless you're going to occupy the ground underneath it. Yeah? So we have to earth our warfare. So Napoleon used to say that uh, <clears throat> he would never... Uh, fight a battle unless he could be sure that he could occupy the ground afterwards. Um, which is something that took the English a long time to learn. Because <laughs> we would just fight for the fun of it. You know? <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> so here's the thing. It really came about for me when I was walking around my home, my, the city I was living in, Southampton. And so I would, I would drive around the city, and I'd walk around sections, because I always wanted to get a feel for what was spiritually going on on the street and in the area, and just walking around the whole commercial, industrial part of the city, was just struck by the number of buildings that were unoccupied, and the pieces of waste ground and everything, and, and yet knowing that unemployment in the city was running at around about 11%. And so, um, wanting to do battle with that whole unemployment spirit, you know, that whole poverty spirit that wants to keep people poor and so on and so forth. But <clears throat> uh, realizing as I started praying that I'm, I could feel myself getting drawn into the conflict over the city. And I'm thinking, if I want to take this thing on, then I'm going to have to have something on the earth if I'm really going to pull down the spirit of unemployment, then I have to have something on the earth for people to actually engage with. You know, so the first expression of that for me was prophetically walking around the city and um, <clears throat> noticing where there were uh, thriving complexes and factories right next to a piece of waste ground. So I began to pray about, I felt the Lord drawing my heart to pray for certain businesses and and so I picked on one, and, and I, I gave, I wrote to them with a prophetic word. I just said, I'm, just, I'm really concerned about the unemployment in the city, been walking around praying, didn't pull any punches, nothing to apologize for, don't care if you think I'm mad. You know, it's irrelevant. <laughs> so so I, I said, I've been praying about your company, and this is what I believe the Lord is saying, that if you will buy the piece of ground next to you, and build an addition to your factory, and take on some unemployed people, and train them, then God will bless your business. And so I wrote to this guy, and I'm, I'm waiting. You know, here's the thing. If you obey the Lord, 
It's not about whether people respond to you. It's about whether God backs you up. You know, so nothing happened, so I wrote him again. I said, just in case you didn't get the last letter, here it is. <laughs> nothing happened, so I wrote to him again. I said, listen, dude, there is an incredible blessing for you here from heaven. If you'll respond, at least have a conversation with me. Look me in the eye, and then you'll know that I'm not mad. So he got his secretary to call me up, and I got an appointment. Guys, you know, he's not a believer, which means he's a pre-Christian. Yeah? Because God is not willing that anyone should perish. So there are not believers and non-believers. There are Christians and pre-Christians, right? So, so I walked in there, and he said, um, I don't believe in God. And I said, that's okay. He believes in you. And so he said, so what's all this, you know, blah, 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 you know, it's called industrial language. <laughs> so, so I said, look, man, I'm a man of prayer. And I'm walking around. And all I know is God's got his hand on your business. He said, what does that look like? I said, what I said in the letter. That he wants to bless you. But, you know, you're running at full stretch right now. You know, I mean, right now, I said, you know, uh, every machine is used almost 24 hours a day. You've got three shifts going on. You're thinking about going to a fourth. You know, and he said, well, how do you know that? Um, you know, we, we only had this meeting yesterday, and how do you know that? I said, how does anybody who doesn't know, know anything? How do you think a prophet knows anything? They get told. So he said, you're weird. And I said, well, <clears throat> you invited me into your office. <laughs> and he went, fair comment. So he said, actually, I was thinking about buying the priest of ground next door and expanding. But you're saying to me that I should take on unemployed people. I said, there are great people in this city who are unemployed and need to retrain. There is money you can get from the government that would help you with those costs, and you would end up with a workforce specifically trained for what you want to do, and the government would probably foot half the bill. Dude, this is a no-brainer. And he went, okay, I'll do it. And he holds out his hand. So I shook it. I, 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 I moved towards it and I said, I'll shake it only if you let me pray for you. And he went, what would that look like? I said, well, basically, it's me saying words and you saying yes. <laughs> he went, I said, it's, it's a prayer, dude. You know, it's like coffee. Ultimately, it won't harm you. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I grabbed his hand and I prayed for him. Well, then, of course, they did the expansion. He took unemployed people on. And then he had to like, buy extra ground because he got these order books that started to happen. And now he's probably got around a third more of the workforce and uh, half more of the factory space. So he's had to take on other stuff. And so that really got me thinking about if I'm actually going to enter into warfare, then I need to earth my warfare so that people can benefit. You need to occupy the ground, yeah? So then I began to think, okay, well, if that works there, then what else could work? So I basically, I started a couple of projects, one of which was to do work in the community that the community, that the community couldn't afford to have done. So, you know, like uh, looking after some of the, the buildings, like children's homes, like old people's homes that run by the state, there's a tight budget, so they're a bit run down. And so started all these projects and eventually I'm 
I'm getting, this is probably what, this is 1982-83, and I'm getting three quarters of a million pounds, which is like about five million, six million dollars now per year to run these projects. You know, there's a great deal of money out there. There's a reason why the government is leaning towards faith-based initiatives, because it's cheap. We can do things better and with more excellence from uh, a voluntary standpoint than the government can do, you know, using government institutions, employees, and so on, because the cost-benefit ratio is way higher, you know. Um, so I, looking around, I'm thinking, you know, this whole problem with the economy is really engineered specifically for us to rise up and take some territory. You know, because here's the thing about a recession. Um, heaven isn't in one. So God still is the only one with fullness and abundance, which means the enemy is on a budget. You know, and we have permission to take the wealth of the wicked and use it for righteous purposes. So this right now, this is our opportunity to really begin to think in a different way about the world and the community around us. And, you know, um, one person walking with God is always in the majority. So I started projects, I started two companies that... You know, uh, and the thing is with government grants, you get like a three-year window to operate, then you've got to think of something else, you know. But I probably earned, in current uh, terms, probably 20 to $25 million from the government to run projects in my city that they couldn't afford to run through government institutions. But I found money in all kinds of pots, in all kinds of places, because I think that's what favor is. Favor enables you to prosper and do the work of God because he gives you wisdom, which is really the currency that you need when dealing with the government because they don't have any. <laughs> so you're asking the Lord, so where, where's the treasure? Where are the pots of cash? You know, and, and you get to understand, you know, the whole government system in terms of when they need to spend money. Like when it's getting to the end of the fiscal year and they've got a lot of money to spend, they're going to throw money at anything because they don't want to lose it off next year's budget. So there are certain times to go to the, year, to the government and get money when they're going to say yes. If you say, I just want to face paint everybody in Mendocino County and they've got $20,000 they need to use, you'll get a $20,000 face painting project. They're not that discerning. They just know we've got to account for this money or we'll lose 20 grand off our next year's budget. So it's really interesting. But if you come up with any kind of decent project, you know, that's kingdom-based and not church-oriented, that means our language has to be different, you know. Uh, but it is just language, you know. So our language has to be different as long as we're proven that we're not going to be proselytizing, we're not going to be preaching... But, you know, we're all, we all know there's better ways of preaching than with words. You know, so we're not preaching, but we are living in a way that makes people ask questions. 
And so then we're just having a conversation. And conversation's illegal, right? Preaching isn't. But having a conversation is cool. So we want to do things in a way that provokes questions, you know, and provokes a response from people. And then we just get to have a conversation. So I'm on a project where I got 400 people, unemployed people, into work. I got local colleges to fund training programs. I got businesses to give me tools and equipment. I got other businesses to give me time, you know, to have uh, people intern with them. I got um, retired people to come out of retirement and give me, you know, six or eight or 12 hours a week training people. And I was amazed how much favor is out there. It only needs one person to put their hand in the hand of God and anything is possible. So, you know, we're, this whole recession time for us is absolutely a heaven-sent opportunity for us to invest in our community in a way that's really powerful. And um, you'd be surprised what people come forward from which kind of places. You know, um, so I got 400 people into work in, with, with one particular company. And probably, I think it was around 173 of them found their way into the kingdom. You know, I ran another company, uh, and that was doing projects in the community where we were affecting the community, we were blessing the community. Um, <clears throat> I ran a project. I I'd found uh, some people that could help me do a project to train... Um, handicapped people in basic gardening skills and horticultural skills. So I found a piece of waste ground and I talked this guy into giving it to me. I talked another guy into building four greenhouses on there. And we just started growing tomatoes and selling them. You know, handicapped people doing it. So much fun. Um, I had one guy there who was my special favorite called Norman. He was a Down syndrome lad, uh, about six foot three, built like an outhouse, built like a garden shed, and one of the most mischievous guys you ever met in your life. <laughs> he, he couldn't say Mr. Cook. He, the, the closest he could get was Mitted Took. So that was my name, Mitted Took. And this guy could like hide in the most bizarre small places. You don't know how he could fold himself into that space, you know. And Norman's pet thing was he went missing every day, but he was just hiding. So you'd hear this disembodied voice, Mitty <laughs> you know. But Norman was a sure-fired winner. Everywhere I took Norman with me, everyone adored him. You know, even though he used to love escaping, but we always knew where he was. He'd be walking down the main road on the white line, between the two lanes, singing his favorite song, which was, I've lost my heart to a starship trooper, <laughs> at the top of his voice, hoping and praying that he would get picked up by the police, because he loves police cars. <laughs> and then if he gets picked up by the police, he could pretend that he was in the mob and all this kind of stuff, you know. And, and the local police knew him. We'd phone up the police station. 
And they'll say, okay, we'll, we'll just take a drive down the avenue. And sure enough, there's Norman. I've lost my heart to a starship trooper. And he'd get picked up and he'd be as pleased as punch, you know. And, they, and he would come back and he'd be like... <laughs> but every time I took Norman with me on a perspective, you know, when I'm looking for money from places, I would take Norman with me and say, Norman's my friend, we're doing this project together. And he would totally, you know... Something would rise up in this boy, and he would totally charm them, and I would get money. <laughs> the most unlikely partnership. But I think God loves all of this stuff. He loves the fun of everything. He loves connecting. He loves opening doors. He adores the poor. He'll do anything. He, he, the Holy Spirit is so ingenious. It's kind of stuff. Really, you just need someone just with a heart needs to walk around their neighborhood and ask questions. So, Lord, what if? That's really all I did. I asked questions, and then the answer to that would maybe provoke me in some way, and I'd knock on a door, and it would open, and some wouldn't open, so I'd knock on a different door. And I always felt that, you know, the Lord would resource whatever I wanted to do in the kingdom. Here's the thing about the kingdom. Everything's permissible. Because everything in Christ is yes and amen. That means you've got a green light until God turns it red. So we're not waiting around at the front end saying, Lord, is this your will? He's just going, yeah. Well, just, just try it. Just try it. Everything's yes and amen which means you've got a green light until God turns it red. So we go until God says no. Yeah. So we're never waiting around. We're always on the move. We're always saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to knock on this door. Help me out. The door doesn't open. Is there another door I should knock on? And then weird things happen. People come. Weird connections come. It's just God networking. There are some networkers in this room. You should let God just have a slice of your heart and go out there and give it a go. You know, it's, they can only say no. They can't kill you because that's illegal in the state of California. <laughs> so nobody, no warrior is ever afraid of a no. So what if, what if there are more yeses out there than you can imagine. Everything, the Greek word for everything is everything. Everything is yes and amen in Christ. Right? So, Jesus said all things are possible. You just have to believe. And he said it in an offhand way, which means you get the easy part, you just got to believe, which is like the simplest thing ever, because look at me, who could not believe in this? <laughs> you know? Who could not believe in God when he shows up? Who could not believe in the... Ma We're all here because we believe in the majesty of God. We're just learning to believe in it more in these days. And I think it's fascinating too that, um, that God is allowing the church to feel the pinch of recession. Maybe so that we'll do something, we'll stop doing church and start doing kingdom. You know? Here's the thing. I know in my own ministry, 
that when God stops giving me money, it's usually because he wants to give me an idea to make it. So what if there are ideas out there right now that God wants to give us? There's only so much you can squeeze out of your congregation in terms of tithes and offerings. So if God isn't giving us money, he's maybe giving us an idea to make it. Maybe it's time we join the business world. Because we're in business too, right? People are our business. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. So he was a businessman. I mean, he was fortunate enough to get funded at birth. You know, someone gave his dad a gold brick. That's helpful. You know, but in the absence of that, then we just pray. Um, so on one level, God's meeting our needs. But if we really believe that the unchurched community are also our inheritance, what if in our unchurched community, what if there's cash there that's also our inheritance? The question we have to ask is, in terms of my community, where is the wealth of the wicked that belongs to me? What if it's in some government coffer right now that they're not spending because they haven't got any bright ideas? But what if you did have a bright idea? You know, all things are possible. So I wonder what's possible around our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. What is possible? Um, someone just needs to understand that if everything's yes and amen in Christ, how many yeses are in the community where I live? Yeah, because Christ is there because I'm there. Because we're there. So how many yeses are always there? Everywhere he goes, there's a yes happening. So where does he want to take you? What if he wants to take you to a yes that you've not imagined? Ah, it's just a question. You know? We should at least do some drive-by intercession. around our communities. At least take 50 cars out of your church, fill them, fill them with people and say, just drive down with the windows down. Drive around the neighborhood and see what you're hearing. What's the Lord saying? Walk down the street and ask the Lord which house is he working in? Because only an idiot would knock on every door. You just want to knock on the door where you know that God is doing something, Right? So we did all our evangelism that way in England. You know, we, um, we would send groups of two, five minutes apart, down the same street. One question only. Write down the number of the house that you feel God's doing something in. Write down those numbers, and then we'll come back and compare notes. And if we've all got those houses, then we're just going to pray for those houses. And then we're going to ask the Lord for some gift. We're going to ask the Lord for a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy or a gift of healing. So when we knock on that door, we're going with something. Yeah? We're going with something. Well, because God has a gift. If he tells, you, if he tells half a dozen groups that this is a house I want to work in, then it's a yes. You have your yes. 
So now the issue is, okay, so the answer is yes, what should my question be? Yeah? So with God, we start with an answer and work our way back to a question, and that tells us what we should be doing. If the answer is yes, what are you saying yes to? I looked at one house, and when we came back, we all had the same number, and we said, okay, so God's saying yes over this house, what's the question? And when we prayed about it, we felt the question was, do you want to heal everybody in this house physically? And the answer was yes. So we sent a healing team to knock on the door. Fortunately, well, they were all sick. So, so we set about getting them all healed, and we did. New family in the church. You know, so... If God directs you someplace, He's directing you to a yes. We're raising up people who live in the power of yes. Yes and amen. Yes, so be it. Or, if you like, yes, go do it. Yeah, and really that's how this whole thing for me came about. It's because we really know that um, the Lord just doesn't want us to preach at people. He sent us to heal the sick and raise the dead, and help the poor, and look after widows and orphans. So he sent us to do something other than just preach. So when we obey that, we find all kinds of yeses all around us. So I'm intrigued by what yes, what yeses exist in this area. Yeah? Because you know God is doing more behind our back than he is in front of our face. So what yeses is he responding to right now? What's he doing? Alignment really is finding out what God wants to do and then saying, can I partner with you? Can I be part of your yes in this situation? So really that would be my only advice is look for the yes. There's permission everywhere. Everywhere you look, you can just turn around 360 on your heel and there's permission in every area around us. We need to discover the power of yes. Okay. Any, any questions on that? Any observations? Any insults you want to trade? All righty then. <laughs> How do young people under 30? I'm under 60 and I'm young. How do young people How do young people in ministry survive the burnout that it can cause? <laughs> That's funny. Ministry doesn't cause burnout. Perspective does. You know, your circumstances are never the problem. Your perceptions of your circumstances are the problem. Ministry doesn't cause burnout. Ministry actually the Holy Spirit wants you to do ministry in a way that constantly refreshes you. Yeah? So ministry, God wants to do ministry in a way that always energizes us. Because here's the kingdom that you're dealing with. Um, God never goes tired or gets tired or weary. Jesus said, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So ministry can be easy and light. 
You know, the, the key thing is the way that we do ministry. Um, one of my mentors was mentored himself by Smith Wigglesworth. Never let me forget it. <laughs> and so he kind of grew up through all the latter rain movement and all that kind of stuff. And he's still, he must be about 140 now or something. I think he's too mean to go to heaven. <laughs> now he was ferocious, thank, thank the Lord. But he loved me ferociously. You know, he always used to say to me, Graham, God may wink at things, but the brethren don't let you get away with nothing. And that was definitely true in his case. But he uh, was special to me, and he was like God's parcel. Um, I remember I was on a tour in England. In, I think I was in, in the Midlands, around the, the middle of England, uh, just outside Birmingham. I'm driving down this road, and this car comes up behind me and starts flashing its lights and tooting the horn. So I pulled over, and a guy comes up to me and says, uh, looks at me and says, do you know Arthur Burt? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I've got him in the car. He told us we'd be meeting you today. You're supposed to take him someplace. Okay, send the old boy over. So... Arthur comes over. And I've given up asking him this question. You know, it's like, dude, how do you know I was in that car on that road at that time? Because he just looks at you like, are you stupid or something? <laughs> you know, it's like, are you walking with the same God as me? And I'm thinking, apparently not. <laughs> so, so I look at him and I say, dude, this is my one day off on tour and you show up. He said, why do you think I'm here? Because uh, it's my day off. He said, exactly. Drive me to this place. <laughs> that was him. I've known him to um, kiss his wife and say, I'll, I'll be back in a while, which for him could mean anything between one day and 30. So he goes out of his house. He has a little case with change of underwear and socks, fresh shirt, shaving kit, a Bible and a passport, that's about it. He almost never carries any money. So he goes down to the railway station, stands in line to get a ticket that he's got no money to pay for. The time he gets to the window, some guy taps him on the shoulder and says, I'm supposed to buy your ticket. And, uh, and, Ar and so Arthur says, I'll only let you buy my ticket if you tell me where I'm going. He said, well, you're going to London. He said, okay, you can buy the ticket. So he buys him a single ticket to London. So now he's in London with no means of getting back because he never carries any money. And so he's walking down the street and this cab stops and says, is your name Arthur? He said, yeah. He said, I'm supposed to take you to Heathrow. So he goes to Heathrow. So he's walking. So he gets to Terminal 3 because that's where the guy drops him. So he gets there. He's walking around ticketing. And um, he's looking at all the destinations and he looks at Sao Paulo, Brazil. So he thinks, huh, okay. So he goes and stands in that line. He's just getting right down a ticketing and someone knocks him on the shoulder and uh, somebody from the airline gives him a ticket to go to Sao Paulo. So then he finds himself on a plane, sitting next to a guy on a plane. This is his life, you know. So then um, the guy sat, sitting next to 
is being picked up. So he drops him in the city at this park. So he sat on a park bench. This is like 20 hours from when he left home, or whatever it is, you know, 30-odd hours. And uh, he sat on a park bench, you know, quite happy, because Arthur generally is. <laughs> and a guy sits in the bench next to him, and Arthur gets a word of knowledge. So he goes over, gives it to him, prays for him. The guy takes him home. He stays there two weeks, preaches to the neighborhood, gets a church started at about 2.50 and comes home. <laughs> Same way that he went, you know. No money, the whole nine yards, you know I mean? So that's Arthur. And, and it's, Arthur's old deal was, that he taught me was, um, you don't live in your ministry. You live in Jesus. So that means you live in joy. You live in rest. You live in peace. You know, you have all the fruit of the Spirit is what keeps you fresh. And it was Arthur who taught me, you know, really how, um, how to stay fresher longer. How to be refreshed every day. He taught me to live in daytight compartments. Start your day with celebration. Finish your day with celebration. Carry a celebration over, but never carry anything negative over into the next day. So you never let negativity accumulate. You always deal with it on the day, and the next day you start fresh. Because here's the thing, the enemy doesn't have any patience. So you can kick his butt all over creation just by being patient. Because the fruit of the Spirit is a more potent weapon against the enemy than the gifts. Because he lost access to patience when he fell from heaven. Here's the thing with the enemy. He lost all access to all the attributes of God, but he himself is a created being, and it's in his DNA, and he still has to serve the Lord. He has no choice. He's a created being. He has to serve the purposes of God. So Romans 9 says, For this reason I raised you up, that I could demonstrate my power in you. So the whole purpose of demonic attack is that so we can discover the power of God. Right? <laughs> so there is a way of looking at things through the perception of Jesus. No point in having access to a brilliant way of thinking if you don't use it. There's only one way of thinking, and that's the way that Jesus thinks. So what would that look like? So the way that Jesus thinks energizes us. So we're not intimidated by what the enemy is doing, but we are intrigued about all the possibilities that God will do. So this whole thing about ministry and burnout, what if it's a myth started by the enemy? Seriously. What if it's an urban myth? What if he has put onto us an expectancy that we could get burned out? Or you need to be careful that you don't get burned out, which means you pull back. You know? It's like, well, you know, we've had a really great conference, there's probably going to be a backlash. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, well, be in faith for that.
What if you could be in a conference where the enemy fails to show? What if you could be in a situation where you don't have to be an overcomer, you can be more than a conqueror, because the enemy is the one that doesn't show up? Here's the thing, if God has all the fullness and all the abundance, and the enemy is on a budget, that means he's got to be careful about how he resources things. So that's why he uses intimidation a lot, because it's a cheap budget item in hell. It's cheap. He's just the same as the church, unfortunately. In the church, we do everything, most things, for efficiency and economy. How can we create the most blessing for the most people in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of resources? Let's do a meeting. Efficiency and economy. The enemy is the same. He's looking to be economical because he's only got a finite amount of resources. And we have a promise on us that we can steal most of those. But we're not claiming that. But what if the enemy's wealth is a part of our upgrade? I'm just asking questions because I want you to see how he, that the kingdom is a million times bigger than the world. And we live like the kingdom is like a small country, like Malta or something. <laughs> you know? The kingdom is much bigger than the world could ever be. So we're learning to access resources. So the enemy uses intimidation. And of course, the classic one is Goliath. One person, okay, he was nine feet tall, thereabouts. And his shield weighed 127 pounds. But that's by the by. One you know, he's still facing several thousand people. And they could all go out and shoot arrows into him all day long if they wanted. But they didn't. When he came and stood up and started that intimidation, everyone was hiding out in the baggage. Because intimidation works if you don't know who God is for you. It works. There's no doubt about it. There's a reason why the enemy work, uses it. It's because it's effective. But it doesn't work on, a, on anyone who really knows how to be intimate with God. And so it works on everyone except Dave. It didn't work on Dave. You know, he came just to deliver cheese sandwiches to his brothers. And, you know, in time to see the most enormous person he's ever seen, giving this word of intimidation and everyone's like falling over themselves to get out of his way. And of course, Dave has this prophecy from Sam <laughs> that he's going to be king one day. And he's thinking, heck, I could lose my kingdom before I even get a crown on my head. And so he goes and asks the question, so what will be done for the guy who gets rid of this guy? And eventually he finds himself facing Goliath and having discarded everything that everyone tries to put on him. You need, you need this, you need that. You need the other. No, I just need the Lord. Let me just prioritize on the Lord first. So, and then Goliath tries the same thing on him. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks and stones? I'll feed your body to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. 
And Dave goes, huh, I see your intimidation. I raise you 500. <laughs> I'll feed you and all your friends. <laughs> it's just language, right? Here's the thing. Your intimacy with God is the most intimidating thing about you. Your intimacy with the Lord intimidates the devil. So here's the thing about burnout. Just coming back to the question for a minute. One of the things Arthur taught me was, if you want longevity in the anointing, you need to spend 80% of your anointing on your relationship with God. Because you only need 20% to be brilliant at ministry. You spend most of your anointing on your relationship with God. And then there's no burnout because you're enjoying every day who God is for you. Our problem often is we end up, we all know we've been in leadership and ministry for eons. We all know that part of our problem can be that we end up with a, a really great working relationship with Jesus but a lousy friendship. Because all of our relating to him is on the basis of what we're doing rather than who we are becoming. Yeah? So David, anyway, runs towards Goliath because Goliath knows, Dave knows one thing that Goliath doesn't. Dave has a prophetic word from Sammy that he's going to be king one day. And I'm not king yet, which means I can't die, which means it sucks to be you. <laughs> You're so dead. Because out of the two of us, you probably haven't got a prophecy being a Philistine. <laughs> but I have got a prophecy, so I can't die. So I'm going to give you a radical haircut starting at the neck. <laughs> so what if burnout is a figment of the enemy's imagination? What if there is a place set aside for you where you make the enemy tired and weary and discouraged and dispirited and depressed, requiring therapy? <laughs> there comes a point when we have to take the sovereignty, the supremacy, and the majesty of Jesus out for a spin like it was a Lamborghini. Take it for a ride. Get inside the majesty of Jesus and start asking questions. What does this feel like? What does this look like? What would it mean for me to see some majesty in my current circumstances? What's the sovereignty of God that is on offer to me right now in the situation that I'm in? If everything is yes and amen, what does that mean for me right now? What if I could be, asking, what if I could be praying prayers that God would say yes to before I'd even said amen? What's the holdup over my life and ministry right now? What is it that God wants to be for you now that he couldn't be at any other time? What is so important about your current circumstances that God let you have them? 
Come on, think about it. What is so important about your current circumstances that God would allow you to have them? Here's the thing. If you're in Christ, so are your circumstances. Why are we living separate lives? Why do our problems have a better time of it than we do? How can we say we're in Jesus and yet go into a separate room, place, to deal with our problems? If you're in Christ, so are your problems. So now what does that mean? What if God loves you so much that he would allow you these problems as a way for you to access fullness and abundance? What if your problem is a unique part of your yes? What if? We need to ask the right questions, eh? At least, let's not be intimidated, let's be intrigued. Let's be intrigued by God. We're believers, right? Let's believe. (laughs) Let's believe for something good. And then when we've mastered that, let's believe for something great. And we've got that one off, let's believe for something splendid. And then let's believe for something brilliant. And then we can finally believe for something outrageous. But we're believers. What is it that God wants to be for you now that he couldn't be at any other time? You know, we're pretty glib on this whole thing of God is in control. Except we actually don't practice a lifestyle that really demonstrates that. So in order to overcome, we need to have a perspective that is from heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. So I'm in Christ My circumstances, therefore, are in Christ. It's great to be me right now. Yeah? It's pretty great to be me right now. You know? um, Because I have yeses. I have possibilities. Yeah? I have permissions. I have favor. I have blessing. I have prophecy over my life. I've got scripture that God has specifically given to me. It's like I'm awash with possibilities. You know, you can't turn around without bumping into a possibility. That's the kingdom. Here's the thing. Um, How about if you are finding it difficult to live from a place of Christ in you, why don't you live from a place of you in Christ? Because when you turn around in Jesus, you're just going to keep bumping into him. <laughs> so, listen, this stuff, this kingdom stuff, it's so simple, kids can do it. That's what Jesus said when he brought this child in front of the disciples. Except you be as his child, you won't even see the kingdom. Our biggest problem is that we don't understand how beautiful we are to God. Yeah. 
and we don't understand how powerful He wants to be for us. But we're learning, eh? Burnout, schmurnout. <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> Here's a question. How do I overcome the spirit of Jezebel? <clears throat> Throw him out. <laughs> Take authority over him. Because you know it's not a woman, right? The spirit is, has no gender. It's male and female, right? The same as you overcome any spirit, you take authority over it. You make sure that you're not actually under its sway. You produce a people around you who are more powerful than the demonic. We are producing communities that the enemy is rightly should be terrified over. Yeah? I don't know about, you know, we hear a lot these days about radical Islam. We're going to be hearing a lot about radical Christians. Because the reality is, Jesus is not coming back to save us from the world. He's coming back to save the world from us. Because if anyone's going to start World War III, it's probably people in this room right now. That we live in such a radical place with God that we affect the world around us. You know, the spirit of this age is tolerance. And we've not even started to fight this thing yet. We don't fight it by being antagonistic. We don't fight it with aggression. But we are going to fight it with the love of God, with the peace of God, with the grace of God, with non-violent, non-aggressive. We're going to fight it with signs and wonders. A friend of mine um, started a ministry in uh, oh man, I'm going to have to say Eastern Europe. I think it was it may have been Bulgaria. I might be lying on that. I don't know because my memory is not that great right now. I'm just recovering from something wonderful. So. <laughs> um, but anyway, he's in a community that's been taken over by, you know, um, drug gangs and so on. And so uh, there were some uh, believers who were opposing uh, the drug lords on the street and preaching against them and all that kind of stuff, and and then were getting shot and and getting killed. And so he rightly decided that doesn't seem all that sensible. So he set out, literally, to get as many people healed of drug addiction as possible. So when he started, there was like, I think, 73% addiction in this community. And so he started a healing ministry that would just pray for people. And... Um, the first few years of it were really difficult. And then suddenly, because, you know, we have to earn our faithfulness. When we're faithful in small things, God gives us something huge. That's the way it works. So we have to earn the right to be given something huge. And faithfulness is how we earn it. So for a couple of years, they saw success in you know, small 
things here, there, and everywhere, but it didn't really make a dent. In fact, I think uh, addictions went up. <laughs> but then suddenly they started to have these breakthroughs, and now they, um, they are getting people off drugs faster than the drugs lord can get people addicted. So now it's starting to climb down. So now their profits are being affected. And here's the thing right now. There are so many people in this ministry. It doesn't matter if you kill the leader because the, the minister work's going to carry on. So now what, well then what happened was eventually the drug people left the area and went and set up someplace else. See, now that's power right there. And that's the power that we have. You know, um, I don't like, I hesitate to use the word supernatural because um, God isn't supernatural. It's pretty normal for him. It's pretty natural for him to raise the dead and heal the sick. You know, so I kind of think if he's not supernatural, let's not try to be. Let's just be normal in Christ. It's in your DNA to raise the dead and do all that stuff. So let's just do it and not put labels on it. Yeah? Then we don't frighten church people. <laughs> Which would be really good. <laughs> Here's the thing about the demonic. You know, the, the enemy, it's in the enemy's DNA to serve the Lord. He doesn't like it. He's deluded himself into thinking he's God himself. And so he's so deluded, he doesn't even know when he's helping the Lord. If he'd known what would have happened, you know, by crucifying Jesus, he would have chopped down every tree in Israel. <laughs> but he didn't know. He genuinely didn't know what was going to happen. So that was, a pretty sh- that was a shock to him. And then, of course, having Jesus as a house guest for three days in hell was not a blessing either. I mean, Jesus goes, he's massively outnumbered, and they hate it. They can't wait for him to go. <laughs> so, that's funny. Normally, you say to people, you know, if you're going through hell, move quickly. But Jesus is the first person to go to hell and prosper. So, he came out of hell with more than he went in with. So, so the enemy had him, the enemy had him in a weakened state for three days and still couldn't kill him off. Pathetic. One third of the angels fell and became demons, so we still outnumber the suckers two to one. And we have the Father, and we have the Son, and we, and we have the Holy Spirit. This is not a fair fight. It's not a fair fight. <laughs> One person walking with God is in the majority. We are in the business of learning just how strong we are. So somewhere, our thinking has to change about ourselves. The enemy has got us thinking that he's stronger than us. And of course, take us outside of Christ, and he's absolutely right. But it's impossible now to take us out of Christ. You know, we're doomed. We're condemned to victory. 
you have to be a complete pelican to lose this fight. <laughs> the battle is not ours to win, it's actually ours to lose. It's time that we started biting back in the right way. So we are <clears throat> we're raising up warriors. I do believe that we're going to see the modern day equivalent of David's mighty men and women in the church. We're raising up warriors these days. There are churches that are dedicated to overcoming. That doesn't mean we all have to like, you know, run around the whole neighborhood, you know, frothing at the mouth and gnashing our teeth. You know, we don't have to be manifesting something, you know, stupid. Just ordinary people learning to say no. Enough. In the name of Jesus. No. You know, ordinary people. Um, you know, we don't want, you know, a kind of kingdom version of Christian, you know, with big hair you could hide a small raccoon in. You know, suited and booted and manifesting charismatic Tourette's. We don't need all of that. Praise God! Hallelujah! We don't need any of that stuff. We just need people who know who they are in Jesus and know that you just have to have a quiet word. The only time we get loud is when we're worshipping. When we talk to the enemy, it is, you are dismissed. We're learning our authority. We worship loud. We take authority quietly. Because we don't want to draw attention to the fact that the enemy is leaving. We just want to open the door and say, you can go now. You know? We're learning authority. We're learning power. We're learning who we are. We're learning about the kingdom. This is who we are. And I think, really, we're at a critical point of discovery in those things. So here's a question. <laughs> Pastoral ministry is tiring, wearying, and takes so much time and energy. Do you have any advice? <laughs> I have, that's funny. I think we've made an industry in the church about doing the wrong thing. You know, um, I was talking to uh, uh, a couple of people in a church that I was working with, um, and they were in conflict. And so, you know, they'd resisted all kinds of counsel, and now I'm the kind of apostolic prophetic voice coming into the church. So it's down to me. Either we get them healed or I kill them and FedEx them to Jesus. You know? And maybe he can touch them and FedEx them right back or something. I don't know. So I sat down with this couple and I said, okay, so you get five minutes and then you get five minutes. I'm timing you. So tell me what the problem is. So they both got their five minutes, and I said, okay, well, so here's the thing. You're saying that she said this, this, and this. 
and it really offended you and made you mad? She said, yeah, that's it. I said, okay. So, um, which self was offended? Was it your old self or your new self? And she looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, honey, it's not a trick question. Which nature got offended, your old nature or your new nature? And she went, I don't know. I said, yeah, you do. Because you cussed at her, right? You got angry, you shouted, you called her names. Does your new nature do stuff like that? No. Okay, so it was your old nature that got offended. Well, yeah. Okay, hang on a minute. So when you said those things that were horrible, which self were you speaking from? And she looked down and she said, my old nature. I said, yeah. So just as a matter of interest, if you were in your real true self, what would you have said to her? Because that's the issue pastorally. We are not spending time dealing with people's flesh that God has already declared dead. Right? So I said, you guys need to apologize to each other. You need to apologize for what you said. You need to apologize because your flesh got offended. So you need to apologize to each other. And then we're going to have a coffee and we're going to come back and then you're going to tell me what you should have said if you were in your new nature, and you're going to tell me how you would respond when that was said. <laughs> Thing is, you've only got to do that a few times. You send out a message. Don't bring your stuff. <laughs> you know? I sat talking to a woman who was always offended by something. And I was staying in a house, and it was a brilliant, you know, multi-million dollar house, and it looked like a show house, you know, and she had this gorgeous, pristine white carpet. I mean, you had to almost go through a foot bath to, you know, to step on it, you know. <laughs> and so we were sat in the lounge in this great carpet, and, and she was just talking to me about, you know, so-and-so said this, and so-and-so said that, and she's offended, and... It's like, you know, being in a restaurant and someone shouts out, Bitter, party of one. Bitter, party of one. That would be her. So, so I said to her, she said, what do you think? I said, well, just supposing right now, in like five seconds, the doorbell rings, and you, go, you open the door, and there's a guy stood there, with a wheelbarrow full of steaming manure. And he wants to come in and upend the wheelbarrow on your carpet. Would you let him? And she said, I'm offended. <laughs> I said, every time you get offended, that's what you're letting the enemy do. You're letting him crap all over you. Excuse my Englishness. I apologize. <laughs> it's like if you've got that much crap around your, around your life start a rose business <laughs> you should sweetie you should profit from this 
If you, can't, if you don't know how to profit from what the enemy is doing, you need an upgrade in your perception of Jesus. There are times when people have come to me and said, so um, I was offended by what you said. And I said, okay, so which part of you was offended? Or they would say it in such a really harsh, arrogant way. It's like, well, I don't even have to ask that question. I said, listen, dude, the way you've just spoken to me proves that it was your old nature that was offended because your new nature in Jesus would never have spoken that way. So I am not apologizing to your flesh. So get yourself a life. Get yourself a life in Jesus that actually can get above this kind of line. You know? Our role... The work of Jesus was to take your old man to the cross and leave it there. So it's dead and it's buried. So Jesus came to deal with your old nature. The Holy Spirit is here to deal with your new nature. Right? So we're not dealing with sin. The Bible says that God has dealt with sin once and for all. all. That means he's not dealing with it anymore. So what's he dealing with? He's not dealing with your old nature because it's dead. He's dealing with your new nature. So if he's dealing with your new nature, he's not dealing with your sin. He's establishing your righteousness. So every situation in your life is to establish your new nature, your righteousness, and your holiness. Right? Because the one thing we know about God is he is not a schizophrenic. So for God to be dealing with sin, he would have to be treading underfoot the cross of Jesus. So here's the thing then. When God puts his finger on a part of your life that's not working, what he's saying, what he's doing is he's pointing to the site of your next miracle. He's pointing to the site of your next upgrade. It's like, if your life is like a house with loads of rooms, and some of those rooms have been sorted out and remodeled and redecorated, but some are still carrying trash, it's like he says, well, let's go and do with this room. What he's doing is saying, let's work on this area next. I've got a gift for you. When he points to something in your life that's not working, he's not... He's not pointing to your sin. He's pointing, he's pointing out to what's missing from you. What's missing in your life and experience of Jesus. Yeah? Because he's dealt with sin. So he's not obsessed with sin. He's consumed by life. So we as leaders, we are consumed by life. And life is energizing. We're dealing with people's new nature. So we're learning how to speak the truth in love. There is a difference between that which is true and that which is the truth. It may be true, this is not a word of knowledge, Brent. This may, it may be true that Brent has a bad temper. I happen to know he doesn't, so I'm safe. 
It may be true that Brent has a bad temper, but the truth is he's a new creation in Christ. So when we're speaking the truth in love, we need to be talking about Jesus because there is only one truth that sets us free, and truth is a person. So when I'm talking to Brent, if I see that Brent has a bad temper, then what I need to be doing is going to the Lord and saying, so I've, I've seen this about his behavior, but how do you see him in Jesus? So I want to go to him and say, Brent, this is what the Lord showed me about you, what he's making you into. So we can have fellowship over the truth. Then I, say, then I can say to him, dude, you don't have to be doing that because this is who you are. Speaking the truth in love calls people up into something. It doesn't call them out. Yeah? If you're going to somebody and telling them what's wrong with them, and with the tagline, and I'm saying this in love, brother. (laughs) You lying toad. (laughs) Then you're not speaking the truth in love. You're speaking what is true. Yeah? Speaking the truth in love means I see who you really are. And I'm going to call you up to that. You don't need to be doing that because this is who you are. So speaking the truth, what we're doing is we're pointing to someone's identity. Because identity is the key to everything. Sometimes in extreme cases, you may have to ask people, so... What is it that you're believing about yourself that makes you think that talking to somebody like this is okay? It's an identity issue, right? So we need to talk to people about their identity. Class 101 in the prophetic. You know, half the people roughly in a prophetic class will be extroverts. So you know an extrovert in the prophetic because... Everyone's got a pan-galactic ministry. I see, I see you preaching on Mars. Because <laughs> you know, everything is superlatives and outrageous and brilliant and wonderful and incredible. <laughs> and and, and an introvert would just say, dude, don't make friends with Eeyore, says the Lord. <laughs> it's like, don't, don't do... An, an introvert would just be like, he wouldn't have you in a pangalactic ministry. He'd have you locked in a closet somewhere. You know? Here's the thing. Prophetic class 101. There are going to be people in that class who only see negatives about people. You know, because they're glass half empty. Not glass half full. So they're going to see the negatives in somebody. They're going to see, I can see the sin on someone's life. Okay, who doesn't? You know, the issue is, can you see it in your own life? (laughs) That would be helpful, eh? (laughs) But here's the thing. If you can see, if God shows you what's wrong with someone... He also wants to show you what he's going to do about it. So the first word that you get that's a negative, it's not for them. So it wouldn't be for Brent. It would be for me. Because God wants me to understand what Brent's going through. Yeah? 
he's got a filthy temper. <laughs> Just the idea of you having a filthy temper is funny. <laughs> so, so God wants me to, sh- to show me what he's going through. Why? So that I can get compassion from Jesus. And then the Lord wants to show me what he's going to do for Brent. So I don't prophesy the first thing because the first thing is not prophetic. It's a word of knowledge and it's meant for me so that I understand. I prophesy the second thing because that's the truth that's going to set him free. So all prophetic people who see negatives, what they don't realize about themselves is they have a spirit of breakthrough. And they don't get it. If God's showing you something negative, you are the spirit of breakthrough that's going to set that person free. So we end up just saying the first thing and never even knowing there was a second thing that could actually have set people free. And so we didn't set people free. We condemned them. We judged them. That's just so juvenile. God isn't consumed by sin. He's not obsessed by it. He's absolutely in love with life. Let's talk about you becoming righteous. Let's talk about holiness. Let's talk about the fact that when God looks at you, He doesn't see what's wrong with you. That's why He put you into Jesus in the first place. So you could be accepted in the Beloved. Ephesians 1.6 So when God looks at you, he never sees what's wrong with you. He sees what's missing from your current experience of him. Pastoral ministry is designed to show you what's missing. We're not teaching you, you know, seven ways to manage your anger. Fourteen ways not to be frustrated. Because the thing is, God isn't dealing with your frustration. He's actually teaching you patience. But when you focus on a negative, you get wearied by it. You get broken down by it. I'm always so frustrated. What if you're not frustrated? What if you're just resisting the grace to be patient? talking to a guy in Pasadena and he said pray for me I've got such an anger problem I said I don't see how he said what do you mean I said dude that part of you is dead so what if you don't have an anger problem what if your problem is you don't really you don't really love and value gentleness what if gentleness is the key The world always gives us negative information. The world is always dealing with our negatives. Fix that, do that, change that. What if the kingdom is become this? What if God isn't saying to you, stop sinning? What if he's saying to you, um, be 
holy. Even as I am holy. What if he's giving you permission? What if he's saying, yes, be patient? Now you can be. You don't have to be angry. You can be gentle. You don't have to be frustrated. You can be patient. So I say yes to your patience. Strangely enough, what if the work of the Holy Spirit is to promote the fruit of the Spirit? That's just a thought, eh? What if God is just giving you permission to be like Him? What if He's just trying to make you like Jesus? What if you have this incredible helper who all the time just says, but you're already in Christ. That means you have access to all that He is. So here's the Here's the value, here's the principle of all of that. You don't become a new person by changing your behavior. You discover the person you already are in Christ and behave accordingly. So what if you're already patient? Really? What if you're already patient in Christ and you're learning how to stay there? Your starting place always guarantees your outcome. Always. It's one of the laws of life in Christ Jesus. Your starting place guarantees your outcome. So if you start from victory, then you're not moving towards it. You're fighting from it. God always leads us in triumph in Christ so our starting place is, I am victorious because of who Jesus is. So now I need to fight from victory, not towards it. So I don't need to look at the overcoming to say, that's the point I need to get to, then I'll overcome. What if you're an overcomer right at the start? Because he always causes you to walk in triumph. So your starting place guarantees your outcome always. So your starting place is you're in Jesus. Let's take that for a spin. What does that look like? You're in Jesus right now. If you're in Christ, so is your circumstances. What's he prepared for you? What's he given you? What's his yes? What's his amen? What's his permission? The whole pastoral ministry takes on a whole different meaning. And when you're dealing with people's new nature... It's refreshing. It's energizing. Because what you're saying to people is, okay, if you were in your new nature right now, how would you think about this? Because we really were discipling people, right? We're equipping people. We're training people. We're releasing people. We're empowering people. We're not telling them what to think. We're teaching them how to think. So think of the situations you've dealt with in the last, this, this last month in March. The pastoral things you've had to deal with. How would you think about them differently? 
you know, that we're not dealing with someone's old nature. We should be dealing with their new nature. So what we want to do for them is to say, is to get them to understand when their old nature is manifesting and how to step back from that and say yes to the new nature. The Holy Spirit is making you Christ-like. That means he's featuring Christ, he's focused on Christ, he's promoting Christ, he's establishing Christ so that you are embracing Christ. You're in Christ learning to be Christ-like. And so you need your senses exercised to discern between good and evil, between your old nature and your new nature. You don't deal with the old nature, you lay it aside. Okay, girls, if you get a ladder in your tights and you've got cash, would you get a sewing kit out? You'd go and buy a new pair of tights, right? If you've got a hole in your tights, you'd go and buy a new pair. You'd think, forget this, and buy a new pair. You know, it's the same principle. It doesn't quite work for guys, <laughs> unless you're doing something we don't know about. <laughs> oh, ladder. It's a hole. It's like a, when, the, when it comes, a hole in your stocking. A run. There you go. A run. America and England, two countries separated by a common language. <laughs> so we don't deal with the old nature. We lay it aside. And we put on the new. That's pastoral ministry. Yeah? Teaching people, well, actually that's not a helpful way of thinking, so let's put it on one side for a minute. If you were in your right mind in Jesus, what would you think right now? I don't know. Well, let's think. It's like if all your thinking has brought you to a place you don't like, well, have another thought. (laughs) Because surely there's a better one. Right? So pastoral ministry, what if it could be energizing, releasing, empowering, establishing who people are in Jesus, not just dealing with stuff that God has already put in the ground? Most pastoral ministries have a resurrection focus. Just that they're resurrecting the wrong thing. (laughs) They're bringing this old thing back from the dead. There's a reason why God said, consider it dead. Because he doesn't want to deal with it either. He's dealt with it in Jesus once and for all. So now he's dealing with your new nature. And when you're dealing with new nature, you're dealing with possibilities. You're dealing with beauty. You're dealing with sovereignty. You're dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. You're dealing with good attitudes, good thoughts. That's refreshing. That's energizing. That's empowering. That's brilliant. That to me is, I think what's happening these days is we are reclaiming pastoral ministry from the world and bringing it back into the kingdom. So that we're doing pastoral ministry from heaven to earth, not the other way around. And we're not resurrecting and dealing with people's carnality, we're dealing with their beauty in who Jesus is for them. We're speaking the truth in love because the truth sets them free. Yeah? 
Let's pray. Father, thank you. I want to thank you, Lord. This is a new day. The kingdom's being established, which means the church is getting a makeover. We're learning how to live, to do kingdom things, to live from the kingdom, to live from heaven to earth, to live with all the possibilities of Christ in us, with all the brilliant expectations of glory that that pertains to. And so my prayer, Lord, is that you would take the tiredness and the weariness that's on everybody here, and Lord, just over this day and over these next uh, days, that you would cause a refreshing, a renewing to come into our hearts and our mind and our spirit, that you would cause us to be energized, refreshed, renewed, and Lord, that you would give us, Lord, new tools, new weapons to use, that we will become a leadership entirely focused on Philippians 4.8, whatever is of good report, whatever is pure, whatever is honest, whatever is decent, whatever is good, that we're going to focus on that in people and bring that to the fore. And I thank you that you've dealt with the old nature so we don't have to deal with it. We have to deal with the new nature, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that, Lord, as we switch from one to the other, so that you would energize us, empower us, refresh us, so that we run with a smile on our face, that we love issues and situations, because we are discovering all the yeses and amens that are present, all the permissions that are there, all the blessing and the favor that's uh, heaped up over people's lives, and that as we help them to focus on Christ within, so their own upgrades will come and fall upon them in a fresh way. And all the unclaimed upgrades around our lives and our churches, Lord, would come and fall upon us that we might be renewed and expanded and increased with the favor of God. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Graham. Um, just want to uh, remind you, in, in case you weren't here right when we started, so if you go to the website, blazingfire.org, in a couple of days, maybe a week, then this message uh, should be up on podcast. Um, if you would like to give a love offering to Graham, um, I, I would en encourage that to bless him. And um, so you could do cash or you could do a check to Blazing Fire and we'll just write him a check later. But uh, I don't have a basket up here, but I'm going to put my Bible right like this. So there you go. You could put it on there. And um, I, I want to thank you all for coming. I know that you come from an hour in every direction, some of you shorter, but uh, some of you longer, actually, than that, a couple hours. Um, thank you, because every time we gather, something really special is going on, and it's not, it's, this is not a one-time thing. It's something that's building and building and building. The kingdom is building. And so um, thank you for being part of, of what God is doing. I really do value our, our friendships um, our relationships that are growing over the years. I know God loves that. He's smiling on, on his kids who love each other. So um, so thank you for that. The next one, we do two a year. So the next one will be approximately, it's usually um, October. 
somewhere right in there. Um, so uh, if you, as long as you were on the list this time, that means you'll be on the list next time. If you weren't, and, and if you're the le- a leader of a ministry, um, you weren't invited by somebody, but you are a leader of a ministry, then make sure I get your email. If you weren't, if you didn't receive an invitation, that's how you'll get one next time. All right. So um, I just want to extend a blessing, a Father's blessing over you. Uh, your, your Papa in heaven is so proud to call you his sons and his daughters. And I just, I just proclaim the, the grace and the favor and the blessing of the Father over you to fulfill all that he has purposed you to fulfill in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. So bless you all. And uh, there's also uh, Graham's books in the back, too. All right.